Welcome everybody to the ChiefCast. This is our, um, not necessarily our inaugural ChiefCast for this uh, class of Chiefs. We did have a, an introductory uh, ChiefCast where they tell us their plans for the year. Um, but this is our first ChiefCast where we go over topics for, uh, for the year. Um, so let's uh, introduce ourselves. I'm Alfredo at AML. I'm one of the uh, Associate Program Directors. Uh, let's go around the, the virtual table, if you may. <laughs> so I can start. So uh, this is Brian. Brian Bohr. I'm the Ambulatory uh, Chief Resident. Hello. I'm Ashley, the VA Scheduling Chief Extraordinaire. <laughs> nice. And I'm Sunkit. I'm the uh, Quality Improvement and Patient Safety Chief at the VA. So safe. Um, great. And uh, so t today, you know, it is the first block. Um, many of you have been um, you know, in wards, in different rotations, but it is your first rotation. So many of you are pros at what you're doing now, and you're about to change to a different rotation um, and, and so forth. So I think there's going to be a lot of changes in, in the next couple of days. Um, so we want to go over some, some very basic uh, uh, topics related to things that, you know, if I put myself in, in my shoes when I was an intern, I started um, I started in VA wards, uh, good old team four, I think, with Dr. Watchers. Where did everybody else start? Oh man, so my I remember my first shift ever was uh, general medicine cross cover, and uh, I was oh my god, I was terrified. I remember going up to our chief Leela at the time during orientation, and you know I had my schedule in my hand. I'm like, this can't be right because it says I'm supposed to cover 80 patients on my first night that I've never met. <laughs> She was like, that's right, you will do great. And, uh, and that was that, it was a little bit scary. Wow. Ashley and I were actually at the VA ICU together. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Go way back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember I presented my very first patient and the attending's like, all right, Ashley, you're gonna get that ABG, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. so it was, yeah. That was a wake up call. Yeah, you know, those first weeks are, are fascinating, right? Because you're meeting new people, you're in a new place, people call you doctor, you like don't, you're not used to it. <laughs> um, but I think what we're going to address today is, is kind of what Brian um, was addressing, which is dealing with cross cover. Because I think that's, you know, you're never alone in residency, you have other people in the hospital, you have seniors, you have a bunch of people that can help you. But when you're the one person in that phone call, it's kind of just you at the moment and um we'll go over on how to respond to these things um sort of how's your support group your support chain and how you truly are never alone uh but for you know those milliseconds before you decide whether you have to call somebody where you have to figure something out um you feel kind of like brian felt that first night and frankly i felt the same way i you know i started in in the VA and back then when you were on call, you had to also cross cover all the other teams and I was cross covering and it, it, it certainly felt, uh, felt uh, overwhelming. And I think it becomes second nature. And I'll ask you guys to see if you felt the same way, but your first week as a second year, um, when you have an intern that also has the same questions that you had and even perhaps the same feelings of, of maybe even inadequacy. Oh man, I'm not prepared for this. That's when you realize how much you learned your first year, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that somebody asks you for a, for a potassium, you know, repletion uh, 
anything dose or schedule or whatnot and you're like it's this without even having to look it up yeah so it's a good it's a good feeling but i think it's that's kind of the first lesson of today's chief cast that that feeling feeling weird about having so much responsibility is is natural and i think it's it's part of what makes our program special that you know you can read you can read about stuff but until you're you're there with your hands doing things um that's when you really learn things so i think uh uh, that's pretty cool. So let's first start with how, let's start with our chain of command. So you, you're an intern, I'm an intern and I get called and it's something that I'm not comfortable with. It's, let's say it's somebody with chest pain and I have some ideas of what I want to do. Maybe let's get an EKG, but do I need to get this or that? Or do I have to call the cardiology people? How can I go about if I don't know what I can, what I have to do? So I can start. I think the first thing to do and the first thing I always did is, uh, you know, us usually you're in the resident lounge taking calls and there's other people around you. There's, there's uh, a bunch of other interns, uh, but more often than not, you know, the admitting senior is there or um, yeah, I guess the admitting senior or one of the two admitting seniors is there. So I would, you know, stand up, look around the desk and then see what other faces I saw and, uh, and just ask. Uh, and if it's a question that you, you think another intern can answer, you can ask your colleague. Um, but I think at least in the first half of the year, you know, the senior residents know uh, that there will be questions and they're happy to answer them. And I think they're more inclined to stay in that resident lounge because of that uh, reason. Um, so I think that's the, you know, step number one, if you're unsure, just turn, you know, left, right, see who's next to you and, and, uh, and ask the question. Uh, but then, you know, beyond that, and someone can jump in whenever they want, but, uh, uh, you know, there's always the MICU team uh, who's there. You know, they're, they're fairly busy, which is why I don't think they're the first people to call if you have any old question. But the senior in the MICU, if you're worried that someone is sick, um, but you're not sure if, you know, they're sick enough to go to the ICU, um, they're always happy to at least take a call. They, they may be a little bit busy and not be able to get to the bedside with you right away. Uh, but if you, you know, if you staff the patient with the MICU senior, um, they should be able to, to help you, you know, go down an algorithm to see what uh, the next step would be. Yeah, I think it's also really important, especially like as a, you know, starting intern to just go and see the patient, um, you know, because a lot of the times the patient will be like the nurse sometimes can over report things. And that's kind of like my sense I got as an intern that they'll kind of over like blow things out of proportion the patient when you go see them they're actually a lot more comfortable um and then vital signs are huge so like if you're if the patient's vital signs are otherwise normal but they're complaining of chest pain like you can get an ekg and whatever but you know you have some time um obviously if they become hemodynamically unstable or something you know like brian said talk to them make you but um and the patient will tell you a lot like if this is the first time they've ever had this like kind of chest pain you know, and they have risk factors, things like that, then it's probably worthwhile to get a troponin and EKG. Um, but if, you know, it's like reproducible, if it's, you know, they're, you know, it's positional, then, you know, obviously ischemia is probably less likely. And, but I think it's always like pretty important um, to go see like, you know, someone's short of breath, someone has chest pain as an intern, just to go see the patient. And then eventually you'll kind of learn how to triage those things and um, yeah. really go see the patients that are actually sick. And I was going to say, there's two good things uh, that, that you guys have been mentioning that I think are good, uh, good tips and good life lessons. Um, the, the first one is, 
Um, always ask for help if you feel you need help, uh, but always try to, uh, to, to, get, to read up and to try to understand what it is that you're, you're doing. You don't have time to read Harrison. Somebody's having chest pain, of course. Um, but, but try to assess what you think is going on. Because if you have to talk to that Mickey Senior, you want to be able to go with something. And that something includes, number one, the vital signs. So if a nurse calls you about a patient and it's not you know, a, a one-way type of question like, hey, this guy has this, FYI, but rather, hey, I don't know what's going on here. You're like, all right, what's this guy's vitals? You know, this guy has chest pain or something. Okay, what's his vitals? Uh, and then the second thing, especially, you know, you don't have to see everybody when you're cross covering, but I could tell you that you're going to get much more information if you do. So especially if, some, if they call you twice for something that is that, you know, maybe on, on the first call you weren't sure that you needed to see the guy. There is nothing that's going to make a nurse more comfortable than you say, don't worry, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to be there in a few minutes. And that will probably calm the situation down because you're going to make an assessment. You're going to figure out what you have to do, but the nurse knows that, that you're on it. And she was probably, you probably saved yourself a couple of pages if you go and say what you think is going on. Mm -hmm. I have a few thoughts too. I love that sage advice that vital signs are vital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely a very basic Those thing signs can give get. you something vital. <laughs> um, and I think, I don't know, thinking on the fly in the middle of the night is not always an easy thing to do. So I think it's really helpful to have a good resource to use. Uh, and you know what? We actually have one that we made for you guys. Well, not us, but the residency has had this available, that um, kind of intern survival guide. If you go to UICIM.com, you can pull that up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not a wholesome and complete list of everything that could be causing symptoms, but I think it's a really easy place to start to kind of help you consider what you should be thinking about. And it also gives you like things you should ask about while you still have the nurse on the phone, which I think is really helpful. Um, and the other comment I wanted to make is that, uh, you know, the VA can, I think cross cover at the VA can be a little bit intimidating because there's not quite as many people around since you are the only intern that's cross covering. Um, but there are still people who are always available for you. So, you know, whether that's the MICU senior, the MICU <laughs> intern, uh, and then there's always that, uh, the, the senior that's on, on call. Um, so I just wanted to, you may not necessarily be in the same location as them, but you can always go find them if you need them. Excellent. And I think that's a good, knowing your resources is a big part of, of residency. And the intern manual for intern year is absolutely outstanding. Because it, it, you know, it's, it's by residents for a resident and it gets updated every year. And the, some of those basic concepts never change, right? So how to repeat an electrolyte, how to deal with urine output. Um, another key kind of uh, support group is your, your own interns. Uh, you guys mentioned how the, the resident lounge is, is usually full of people at night. And you're right. I mean, to this day, I remember asking my colleagues or my colleagues asking me, hey, have you ever dealt with XYZ? Or, you know, hey, I have this guy. Do you think I should talk to my senior? Most of those people are still around. Dr. Eisenberg, Dr. Reck, Dr. Frydenberg. We were all interns together, right? Hmm. One of my favorite jokes from that time is we would walk into the lounge and, you know, if the computer had something open, you know, like up to date on, you know, lymphocytic histiocytosis, you're like, yeah, that was, that's a senior. <laughs> but if it, <laughs> <laughs> if it was like, like workup of, 
of XYZ, a symptom usually that is like, yeah, it's one of us. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, a lot of cross cover has to do with workup of symptoms, you know, shortness of breath or chest pain, et cetera. Uh, but that shows you how everybody's dealing with the same thing at night, you know? Seniors are working with senior level stuff and interns are working with intern level stuff and, and you know, seniors are there to support interns. Um, so that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Well, AML, you, you touched on something too that I think is really important and uh, often understated, but, uh, you know, I think one of the most important skills, I mean, there's a lot of important skills in medicine, obviously, and, and some are taught to us explicitly, like how to do an exam or, you know, what antibiotics to use. But getting that two-liner down is, uh, I remember that dawning on me one day, probably as an intern, maybe as a fourth year, but I, I just remember being amazed at seeing attendings and fellows communicate uh, uh, with, you know, very concise wording, but they were communicating all the necessary information. And uh, I think, you know, going through residency, you realize how important it is to be able to come up with a good two-liner um, because you don't, sometimes you don't have time to be running through all the details on the phone if you're calling a consult in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, that communication is so important. So I would always say, you know, practice, you know, it, before you call a consult, try to go over a two-liner two or three times in your head, get it down. Um, you can even run it by, you know, your, your fellow intern or your colleague or something. Um, but practicing that, that skill, I think, is, is very important. One important part of that is, is, is language. Um, we are in a technical field. So the technical language that we use, I think, reflects the fact, I mean, we can make uh, bad judgments. That's okay. You know, I can say, I think this is a heart attack and it, you know, and further workup will reveal that's a PE. That's fine. But I think it's different to say, this guy has a trope leak versus this guy has abnormal cardiac biomarkers that may be an NSTEMI or a pulmonary embolus with heart strain. That shows the person that you're communicating with that, that you've read about what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, doesn't show, you know, it doesn't mean that you're 100% right and you're connecting the dots, but it means that you're using the right language. And that's something that is useful, not just for communicating verbally, but in notes. I think if you read a note of somebody that uses the right terminology, even, you know, even if the case goes one way or another, you could tell that that person put some thought in what they're writing. That's another, I think, important thing for, for interns. Um, writing notes and cross-covering, you know, what do you guys think about that? When should you write a note? I think aside from like the obvious transfer note to the MICU, I think if there's like some overnight event, like even like an RRT, I know that the MICU senior will write like an RRT note, but sometimes it's helpful for the intern to also write a note because the intern just kind of knows that patient. Um, or like, you know, if, even if there's not an RRT call, but you talk to the MICU senior, um, cause the patient's like desatting, but they end up, you know, being moved to step down or something. Sometimes like stuff like that, um, that may not be communicated the next morning because, you know, you're trying to sign out a million patients. Um, sometimes just those notes, like at least for me as like an intern or even a senior, if I, something happened to my patient and there was some documentation of that, um, I thought that was like really helpful. So I would say any kind of like, kind of acute type events that, you know, may or may not yeah. Um, yeah, require making intervention. I, th I think a good rule there is if you had to make a decision, mm -hmm. uh, if you had to make a decision, an intervention or an assessment, um, because it, it shows and it justifies whatever happened. 
So for example, if the nurse does call you and you do go see the patient and you realize that this, this chest pain is nothing that requires further attention, you know, which of course is, is a whole other conversation, but let's say it's, it's pancreatitis and the patient has been having pancreatitis and you could say, you know, went to bedside, patient is complaining of, you know, three out of 10 pain, similar to during the day, feels much better, no further interventions, we'll monitor closely. And that shows that, that you had that level of, of, of detail and, and even uh, easier to communicate with the team the next day. How do you guys stay organized in, you know, for cross coverage? There's a lot going on. You got like 20 million sign out sheets. You have, you know, a couple of protein bars in your pocket. You got um, <laughs> three pens. Um, how do you stay organized with your tasks? Because there's a lot of tasks. I mean, you get sign out and then you have to give sign out. Yeah, I think there's two different uh, types of what, uh, what's the word? Two different types of tasks that you need to keep track of. I think the first one is ones that you are told to follow up on or to do at a certain time. Uh, and that's uh, something I, I keep track of on a piece of paper. You know, you write down what each, on the hour, each hour that you're going to be there, and then you write that task down under the hour with the, you know, appropriate label so that you know what you're doing uh, when you're getting sign out. And I think the second type of, type of task or things to keep track of are just things that you get called about and you want to remember to update the team on the next day. And I would usually just on the sign out packet that I got, I would take notes on any phone calls I got or any changes that I made during the night. And then when I'm giving sign out the next morning, I can just flip through that packet and let them know what I need to update them on. Excellent. And I, uh, I think part of what's interesting about engineer is that you're going to develop the organization skills that work for you, that by the way, you will <laughs> take for the rest of your life. So I think you can answer this question in 3 million ways. The tasks remain, right? It's the same task for everybody, but how you do them, uh, as long as you find a way that works for you, that's, that's really the, 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 the right way. And I'll tell you what worked for me. I, I had a, a PDF that I developed that you know, is a simple uh, two-column sheet of paper um, that I'll send, you, I'll send everybody in the email. But it, it had two basic columns, to do and to report. So I printed one paper out for each service and, and then I would fold the sign out of that service within that paper as a cover. And I wrote down 9 p.m. follow up with Lasix, uh, 10 p.m. follow up with EKGs, and then I would check it out. But if I get called about something else, then I would, you know, or if something happened related to that, then I would write it on the other column, the true report column. And that just made it easier for me. But again, different people, different systems. Um, so great, great suggestions there. Um, well, we talked about the intern manual. We talked about resources. I think pocket medicine, of course, is a common one. Um, UpToDate, of course, has a wealth of information. There's other resources uh, out there. But how do you stay up to date? How do you read? Um, you know, there are people that are going to start in liver or in medicine or in hematology. How do you do that? I think the best way to do it is to have several different approaches. Uh, at least uh, that was my experience. You know, I think first and foremost, learning from your patients is going to be the best way for you to actually remember the information. And so, you know, taking five to 15 minutes to just read up to date or Dynamed or whatever easily accessible resource on, you know, whatever your patient is presenting with, I think that's going to be very helpful. 
Um, but I, I think finding, you know, residency is busy. So finding little areas in your day to kind of add uh, learning is going to be the most beneficial. So whether that, you know, that, that of course should include going to, to conference at noon. I think that's a, an excellent uh, source for learning, but I'm biased because the chief set that up. <laughs> um, I also found it very helpful to get regular emails uh, with learning resources. So whether that's the, uh, you know, the scope that kind of reviews recent literature uh, items that have been published. Um, there's the New England Journal of Medicine, like resident 360 emails where they go over, you know, literature. They also kind of go over these resident briefings about important topics. Um, and uh, the, the other kind of, area that I personally really like is listening to podcasts. And so just having like a, you know, a curbsiders or, or some podcast that you listen to that'll kind of cover a little bit of everything. Um, I think those are all the, the four different approaches that I, I felt like uh, helped keep me up to date. Yeah, I would echo many of those things. Getting back to the patients, I, I realized and I wish I had done this throughout residency. Um, but after I look it up, you know, if it's something interesting or, or even if it's just something, you know, instrumental that, that, uh, that would be, for instance, a good, a good uh, case presentation later, write it down. Like second half of residency, I started an Excel document um, with the cases and just a little blurb about uh, some interesting patients. And um, for me, you know, you know, it's one thing to look up 15 minutes on up to date, uh, but you, you, you lose that association with the patient quickly if it's not, you know, the most memorable patient case. But with writing it down, it, it helped me, you know, link those two things a little bit better. And then also, you know, I, I also do the, uh, get the emails from those journals. I'm not the biggest podcast guy, to be honest. So that, that wasn't one of my main resources. But I actually, and, uh, you know, this is uh, anachronistic in a way, but I, I, I uh, signed up to get the print copy of New England Journal delivered to my home. It's not very expensive for residents. In fact- Okay, Boomer. Yeah, right? <laughs> and only, only because I don't like, you know, I don't have an iPod, iPad and, you know, I just, sometimes I'll, I'll like flip through or going to bed. It's just a small way to at least see the headlines. You can read the uh, abstracts. Yeah, there's something about the physical copy. Um, I've transitioned to all digital and, uh, but, but the physical copy, is there and I think it's easier to grab. It's, it's harder to ignore. It's on your table. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I agree. Um, I think for interns, a, a good, it's good to put these things in boxes. I think you need immediate information. The immediate mm -hmm. information is your intern survival guide. You're going to find immediate things to do there, uh, but not a whole lot of pathophysiology and explanation and data uh, like supporting it. Um, another kind of immediate or intermediate box is pocket medicine. Pocket medicine has everything that you need to know overnight, basically. It's not the entirety of medicine, but it's the, you know, it's kind of the entirety of, of what a common shit. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley's showing us her pocket medicine. Two um, copies. Since we're recording this in Zoom. Two, Two copies of the purple one. <laughs> the purple one. Um, anyways, the, the, that book has everything there, every explanation, and it's very, very succinct. It's so succinct, succinct that I don't think it's enough uh, for, mm. for the more long-term learning. It's, it's uh, good enough for your short-term short learning of, of, of this is what I need to do, 
Um, sorry, Katie's on the phone over there. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, uh, so that book is intermediate, but good enough for your for your for your overnight uh, admissions and everything. Um, for your long-term stuff, um, I think learning about your patients is important. Um, learning for your boards is important too, because you know the boards involves so much that you won't see you know regularly. Uh, so uh, I always say for the people that we interview that. The reason why I think our program is strong and the reason why autonomy is so important is because you, you're not going to learn all of medicine in three years. So you're going to learn a lot of the basic things, a lot of the things that are common and many things that are uncommon. Uh, but more importantly, what you're going to learn is a system, a system to recognize that you have something in front of you that you don't know what it is or, or don't know what the recent is or what you want to update yourself and a process to deal with that. And by the way, along that process, you might realize that you need help. And that's a part of, of, of what autonomy gives you too, that you say, oh yeah, this is an end stem here. You know what, there's something weird about this one. Let me call the fellow, let me call the attending. And by the way, I'm sure expert clinicians like Dr. Zar still use that process. For them, it's calling a friend that they, that they know and respect and say, hey, Bill, there's this, guy, there's this patient that I have. I wanted to kind of run by you. So it's the same process that we learn in residency. So I think for the, for, but for the long-term stuff, there's just so much medicine that you won't see. Uh, and um, that's why it's so important for, to study for your boards as well, because you, you may not see a case of Babesia, um, but you, you have to learn how to kind of answer those questions too. Um, I, I personally enjoyed, oh, go ahead. Sorry, no, just another long-term like type of learning for interns. I know that interns are like really busy when they're on wards and stuff, but there's like, medical students that are really thirsty to learn and for your knowledge so you know if you read and then you kind of teach back to them yeah. kind of what you've read I think that makes a huge difference and yeah you know, I think uh, I teach it like I don't really forget it so absolutely learning by teaching is extremely good and you learn to teach by teaching I think uh, we have a lot of talented teachers that are that I think have natural talents but they've also been doing it for a while and that's why they're so awesome because uh, you do you know you you get better by doing it so that's great um awesome um what do you guys like to read for like you know let's say you admitted the patient you're doing fine and then you're more of a like let me kind of expand my knowledge on this case like let's say it's a case of i don't know even something basic relatively basic like hepatic encephalopathy. How would you gain more knowledge about that? I think there's a, I mean, hmm. you know, it, it helps to, to go, maybe a first step is to, to go to something like Mixab and see what, you know, for the boards, what do they want you to know about it? And that, I think that's a, a solid place to start because you want to make sure that you know those basics before uh, well, maybe not before, but you just want to make sure you know that information. And then you can always branch What's high out. yield? What's high yield? And you can always branch out and look at, you know, weird case reports and stuff beyond that. Uh, but getting the basics down is crucial. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I, you know, when I started residency, I was, 
I was all in for up to date. Um, but I have actually kind of since migrated a little more to liking Dynamed, uh, just because it's more bullet yeah. point oriented. And so you can, it's just much faster to read through it. Uh, but the other reason I really like it is because they list the, you know, guidelines right there. You know, they say I, ACR guidelines for diagnosing GCA, you know, it's, uh, it's just easily accessible. Um, so that's kind of, I don't know if that's so much helpful for learning like deep pathophysiologic information, but uh, if you're like, oh, how do I work up, I don't know, list anything, uh, it, you know, it'll kind of give you those steps. That's great. I haven't, I haven't played around with Dynamed. And, yeah, and, and by the way, yeah, my, my approach to up-to-date is, is similar to what Brian was saying. So I, I especially me as a subspecialist, um, up-to-date up is, tells me what, what the standard is. And by standard, I mean what most clinicians would do. Doesn't mean it's what you 100% have to follow for your case, but I think it's, it's good to see what's in up-to-date. Um, but I think uh, for learning as a resident, maybe other things. What were you gonna say, Sanket? Sorry, yeah, no, I thought that the medicine reading list um, that we have a link to in the newsletter, I thought that that had like a lot of good just review articles that really went over a lot of pathophysiology and it was sort of organized by, I think, organ system. So I think that, you know, I thought those were really nice articles. Yeah, and like a lot of those, you know, New England Journal review articles go over a, a, a lot of common diseases. Same thing with ACP does an in the clinic series that are more outpatient geared, but, um, you know, just kind of the nuts and bolts of, uh, of uh, classic presentations of classic illnesses. Yeah, I just want to echo the in the clinic stuff. I really love those. Yeah. I would read, oh, yeah. I would try those to read cool. one of those, like, like, you know, I, I had one clinic day where I had like three people come in with dizziness. <laughs> By the end of that clinic day, I was like, what is this? And so I went and read <laughs> in the clinic and I have been much more comfortable with dizziness ever since. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a great. Season. Yeah. My favorite slash most annoying diagnosis, uh, ICD-10 code, dizziness and giddiness. <laughs> <laughs> it is a thing. Um, ICD-10 code R42. I just Googled it. Uh, not just dizziness, but dizziness and giddiness. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, um, maybe let's kind of point out some common pitfalls or common or more kind of important take home points for some of the different scenarios where our interns may be uh, cross covering in the next month and the next couple of weeks. Um, so what about intern cross cover? What would you guys say is a common important diagnosis not to miss or a, or a complaint uh, approach that you guys want to cover um, and other points as well. So for example, chest pain, what if I'm an intern and they call me for over chest pain and I'm worried that it may be a heart attack. Uh, what would you tell that intern is the best approach? Not necessarily from a medical standpoint, but, but how, like kind of both medical slash I'm an intern, where should I look things up and who should I talk to kind of thing. Well, I, I'm going to point back to the resident uh, or the intern survival guide. I think I think that's a good place to, to start when looking those things up. Um, and I don't know. I, I think my thing, whenever I would get a phone call about someone having chest pain, I think that heart attack would always come to mind. But I would always, you know, I also would always think of a PE. Um, so kind mm -hmm. of trying to look for signs of a PE, just because that's kind of a don't miss diagnosis. So looking for 
hypoxia, um, uh, tachycardia, those sorts of things. Yeah. I was going to say that a good thing to, to keep in mind is what can it be uh, that it, you know, it, what, what in the, in the differential can be life-threatening and, you know, which one life-threatening or not is the most likely. And I think part of that is going and talking to the patient. So getting your vital signs and doing all of that as well. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. And you know, uh, you're often very busy fielding phone calls and whatnot. Um, but I think that's a complaint that you, you need to see the patient for. And, uh, you know, while it might be a little bit out of order, I don't, I don't think anyone would blame you if you're cross cover ordering the EKG and the troponin, you know, before you walk and go see the patient, you can always cancel it or tell the nurse, you know, if you're not worried later, but, um, uh, you know, normally yeah, I, I agree with that. I just get an EKG. It just, it's yeah. like a non-invasive test. It gives you so much information. Like, yeah. I mean, even if the nurse is like, Oh, I don't think like, you know, whatever if they, you know, sometimes they give pushback, but you know, you just get it. Like it's fine. And then, you know, if it looks weird, you can always get a troponin. That's how I kind of, Cool. What about high blood pressure? What if they tell you that a patient has a blood pressure of, you know, not 250 over 150, but eh, 140 over, you know, 95 when it's usually 120? You need a PZP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well said. But so, and I think it's important to recognize here, like, why are you getting called for this? Yeah. Nurses have a, a duty to report things and, and, and that's, you know, we're there overnight uh, because there's a physician there taking, you know, you're the physician taking care of people if they become sick and you're going to triage and deal with emergencies. Um, but hopefully we don't have a lot of those, right? And you're also there to get things reported that would have been reported to the day team. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, perhaps mundane data, uh, urine outputs and things that, that may seem, may seem unimportant at the moment. And, and, uh, but it's, it's still important for the nurse to report to whoever she has to report to. So what about specialty cross cover? Um, I think, uh, uh to finish off maybe a couple of things there, specialty does cover, uh, a lot of, sick patients and I think some important pathology to always recognize. So let's say you get, you're an intern, you're, you're watching a YouTube video on your phone um, about two cats and then all of a sudden they call you uh, and it's just to let you know that some guy, you know, are you covering him? Yeah, I'm covering him. Uh, okay, so, you know, bed XYZ has a fever. Um, so what should you be concerned if it's a specialty cross cover and they, especially if they told you that it's from him? So you definitely want to make sure it's not a neutropenic fever. Uh, I mean, a fever is worth working up regardless overnight, but neutropenia Absolutely. and fever becomes, uh, essentially becomes an emergency. Yeah, um, medical emergency. So any fever is important. A neutropenic fever is not even urgent. It's emergent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so the questions to ask is, is what was the neutrophil count? <laughs> right. Not just this morning, but yesterday and the day before sometimes. Uh, and uh, definitely the basics that we've talked about, getting vitals and assessing the guy. Mm -hmm. um, what would you do? Uh, so let's say the patient is neutropenic. Uh, so if they're neutropenic and they have, uh, you know, a real fever, then don't even hesitate and, and start antibiotics. I mean, 
you know, it's, it's worth seeing if they have cultures already or something like that. Maybe they already have a bug identified, um, but you basically want to cover broadly for especially gram-negative uh, organisms and um, depending on risk factors, uh, gram-positives as well. Um, and I, you know, I don't think anyone would blame you if you're overnight cross cover of just, you know, uh, making sure they don't have allergies, but starting, starting broad coverage. And, you know, I, I think that's an emergency enough to, to consider calling, uh, the fellow also, depending on how, how the patient looks. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think this brings me to resources, right? Like what to start is on your intern survival guide and then yep. yet another repository of good guidance is your UIC uh, guidelines. If you go to the internet and you look for anti-infected, you're going to yeah. find empiric coverage for basic, you know, for, for most infectious <laughs> syndromes, including neutropenic fever. And these things get updated based on our own cultures. So I think that's, that's an important resource as well. And by the way, there's clinical care guidelines for everything, cardiac issues and heart failure. And what this really means is that the, our own clinicians have reviewed national guidelines and have decided how their patients and their practice should be managed in the hospital. And that has undergone gone a lot of consensus building and it's a good guideline for you. Yeah, I feel like those are maybe underutilized, but those are great. So yeah. 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 Cool. Um, what about pain and sickle cell? What would you guys think are, are common calls that, that would, be, would have important take home points? Yeah, I think the biggest one that, you know, interns will get are clinician doses. Um, you know, I think it's really important to listen to sign out um, from the day team um, to, and sometimes kind of limit the number of clinician doses because it's really easy just to give Dilaudid to somebody, you know, once every few hours so they don't bother you. Um, but that kind of, you know, can set a bad precedent for the day team and then just kind of make their lives not so comfortable or like, you know, it just, they'll just get called a lot and they can also be pretty busy. Um, so I think it's, you know, the, the team usually will tell you like how many clinician doses this patient should get. Um, you know, if they're really in pain, like sometimes, it, you know, you might give them an extra one, but, you know, I think that, yeah, um, just listening to the day team, especially um, to limit how much pain medicine you give them is, is pretty big. Cool. What if, what if a sickle cell patient is kind of, increasing in oxygen needs. Um, what would your approach be there? What should you be concerned for? Yeah, so the thing you worry about is acute chest syndrome um, because that requires a, an escalation of care. If, if a patient does have acute chest, they often will require an exchange transfusion, which um, will require essentially, they, they need a central line for that. So that's often a MICU transfer if that's what is is going on. Um, so the first way I would work that up is to get a chest x-ray um, because if you have an infiltrate on your chest x-ray plus an increasing oxygen requirement that would be um, that would be concerning for that. Cool absolutely and all of this also is on your on your entrance survival guide there's a special section for for specialty cross cover where you'll find some of this common pathology as well. Um, last but not least, how about ICU? I mean, ICU is a unique place. People are sick, but they are in this bubble where your senior is there all the time. And, and frankly, even, you know, we have great nurses everywhere 
Uh, and especially in the ICU, these are critically, you know, critical care nurses that, that have a lot of experience and there's a lot to learn from, from nurses in all places and, and especially in the ICU. Uh, but I think responding to codes is like another interesting dynamic. You're going to go there, you're going to go there with your senior. So there's kind of a different set of issues. Uh, but what's the, what's the role of the intern there? What, it, you know, I'm running to a code, I'm excited. My, my blood pressure is high. My heart rate is high. Uh, I, I feel nervous, but confident because I'm going there with my senior. What should I do? So I enter the room, the patient is pulseless. Um, you know, I, we all took our ACLS and stuff, but I know that we're gonna take cues from our senior. What should I do to make things easier? Yeah, jump on their chest. I mean, I think that's, you know, if they're pulseless and, you know, I don't think you should waste any time and you should just get on there. Your senior will, you know, they'll run the code and, you know, they'll tell you for pulse check and hopefully people will, you know, kind of start lining up behind you to relieve you. Um, but I think the best thing you can do is that nobody's on the chest. And sometimes, you know, and I've seen this before in codes where people are just kind of standing around and they're just kind of telling each other that the patient doesn't have a pulse, um, but nobody's getting on the chest. So, you know, I think that's big. Um, you know, other things are, you know, if somebody's on the chest, get on the pulses, um, pull up a cow and kind of just start, you know, telling um, yeah. the senior and everybody else kind of, you know, what's been going on with this patient. You can order labs. Um, so I think as an intern or even like review labs, you know, I think as an intern, you, you know, you can be very useful. Uh, Absolutely. So not just, not just, uh, so it's not that you have to do without, uh, I mean, you know, from an ACLS standpoint, absolutely chest compressions is, 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 uh, is the next step in order to save that life. Um, and I think um, that's something that you can, can anticipate, but more than anything, try to anticipate what your senior might need. You know, for example, he's busy thinking on the spot, looking at EKGs, looking at, at, at uh, um, you know, the monitors. How's the environment? Is somebody on the chest? Should you be the next person on the chest? Is, is there somebody standing around in the middle, just kind of making, you know, taking space. You can, you can help your senior and say, all right, can, can, you know, can we get some space here and let's get a stool for the next person. And even that you could say, all right, I'm doing chest compressions. Um, you over there, can you get behind me? I'll let you know when I'm tired. Yeah. You probably don't that's want to... in place. Yeah. You were saying even getting on the computer, right? So even taking a look at the chart and giving valuable information if necessary. Yep. Yep. I, I think, you know, you managing the room is really important. So if it's, if, uh, if you're not on the chest uh, doing all those things, but also if the room is super crowded, you know, you can ask people to leave. Um, it, it helps with workflow a lot better and uh, asking someone to step out to, to grab the ultrasound, things like that can be a huge help. Uh, yeah, I don't think, I think those were good. You know, I, every once in a while you'll show up as an intern too and your senior will have not gotten there yet. And I think it's just worth saying too that- uh, Oh, good point. You know, you, you should, uh, Make sure that you know the basics of ACLS to uh, be able to start, you know, the process before your senior arrives. Um, and, you know, not that that's something you need to expect. I hope you don't have to run an entire code by yourself. I, I think that's a, a very rare occasion, if, if ever. Um, but occasionally you do get there before the, uh, the senior and you should know what you're going to do in the first, you know, couple seconds. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I'll tell you what my thought process there was. Whenever in, in those, you know, somewhat scary moments before your senior gets there, remember that somebody's senior will always get there, period. Mm -hmm. If your senior 
is in the bathroom and didn't hear the code, there's going to be an anesthesia attending or an anesthesia senior or somebody that's also going to go. And by the way, everybody else in that room is ACLS certified. So it's, you know, the, the, the command structure is such that we have uh, predetermined who the leader is, but anybody could really be the leader. Mm -hmm. Great points. And one tip that I used to give seniors, but I think uh, might work for interns as well is, Get there as fast as you can, as long as you don't lose your breath. <laughs> and, 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 and part of the reason for that is, you know, you get there and you're like, you're short of breath and you're, you know, you look like you're, you're, you know, panting and stuff. And, it, and, and it, it actually does a disservice to the situation in the sense that, that you might lose a little bit of the control that you need by, by getting there fast, but being calm when you get there and being you know, uh, giving a sense of security to everybody. Um, so yeah, that's, I think, um, I think that's most of what we had. Any other final thoughts? Uh, do you all have favorite cross cover, uh, meals, uh, ordering in? Whoa. I know what mine is. <laughs> I think I'm going to say Chilangos. I, I just, I think their like empanadas are are really fantastic and mm. yeah, spinach and cheese. Mm. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the same thing, and then Chilangos turned on me when I ordered it like about seven, six months pregnant while I was inpatient overnight, <laughs> and I got the worst heartburn. Oh, <laughs> man, oh no! Yeah, it's that little red sauce that that like salsa <laughs> rosa. But it was so delicious. Brian, what's yours? Mine was definitely Chilangos. You guys both took mine. <laughs> wow. That's, that's three for three. Yeah, Chilangos wasn't there back in the day. Um, back in the day, we had, um, you know, we had a fridge with, uh, with frozen meals that the, the hospital administration had for, like, every resident. So it was kind of terrible, oh. but kind of good, because it was, like, you know, it was uh, not, it wasn't, like, your, your typical frozen meals. It was this brand called Hungry Man. Which, which is kind of <laughs> terrible. <laughs> um, but other than that, I would say pizza. Pizza is my weakness. So yeah, I always ordered pizza. Cool. All right, team. Well, I think uh, thank you so much for for joining us, and um, we'll we'll catch you guys next time.